BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. I hope everyone had an amazing Thanksgiving last week. And I'm very excited for today's episode with Chris. You might recognize him because he has been on the show before. We were all talking all about anxious attachment. Today, we are talking about avoidant attachment, which you might be like, oh, that sounds like my ex. Well, yeah, same. Um, we Basically, all of us have dated somebody who has avoidant attachment. I actually did a poll question and it was like over 60% of people have. So I think this will be a very illuminating episode for you guys to hear kind of what that's like, how to navigate that. It's not like an end all, like it's not, it's not the end of the world. If you are dating someone avoidant, you just have to know how to navigate it. So I hope this is helpful for that. Also, you're listening to this on the day that I do my Chicago show. I'm so excited if you got tickets. I cannot wait to see you. I Hope that everyone's having a great Sunday or Monday or Tuesday or whenever you are listening to this. I'm going to get into some of your questions and then we'll get right into Chris. Someone asked how to be confident walking away when it's not working. So hard. It's definitely not easy. I think I will say it's easier than the opposite when they want to walk away, but it's very possible that you're both on the same page if you're feeling this. I think you know it's not working. You can't lie to yourself. If you do, you actually physically have like symptoms of it. Like I remember in my last, in a, in a past relationship, I was like in chronic neck pain and just chronic, chronic pain because I was holding on to all of these thoughts and feelings about wanting to end this relationship and I just wasn't doing it. And I, I wasn't. And, and part of that was because I didn't have the confidence in a lot of ways. And part of that was because I didn't want to hurt this person. But the reality is no matter how old you are, if you're 23, if you're 29, if you're 37, it's not working and it's not going to work, especially if, you know, you already know that before you're married, before you have kids. So that confidence has to come from knowing your worth, knowing that you're an amazing catch that someone else is going to be obsessed with and that you're saving yourself and this other person, honestly, from a divorce later on and a toxic relationship potentially. So also knowing what's on the other side, right? Like something really great for you. But when one door closes, the other opens, but the first one has to close first. Rules for holidays for every phase of dating. I think that if you are not official probably shouldn't get each other gifts, but you can definitely, you know, do the holiday activities, go ice skating, whatever, enjoy it. But assuming that both of you will then go home, I think communication, you know, you know what I'm going to say, like, let him lead in communication. Obviously, this is a good indication of how much this person cares about you is like how much they're in touch with you while you're both in respective places for the holidays. I think if you are official, obviously you do get a gift. I think that's really nice to do. I wouldn't go overboard. I find that a little awkward. Like I would try to stay in like the $50 to a hundred range if you're newly official. 
Also, if you don't, if you want to avoid the awkwardness altogether, I think having a discussion of, okay, here's what we're going to spend on each other. There's nothing wrong with that. That's like a great non-awkward conversation to have. And it will set you up for those conversations in the future when maybe you share money and you want to talk about, you know, what to spend. And then other rules, I guess, just I wouldn't really spend the holiday together unless one of you isn't going home, like doesn't have family to go to. And the other one includes like, that's really nice. If this is a more serious relationship, that's great. You can switch off. Maybe if your parents are close by, if you're engaged, it's great to spend the holiday together. Some people don't believe in doing that until you're married. So enjoy your last, you know, few holidays apart. But that's really for whatever makes you feel comfortable. That's I would say there aren't really so many rules when it comes to holidays, except the same rules, but over the holidays, how to figure out what ring you want, what will look good. This is how I did it. I literally saw someone who has the exact same hands as me on Instagram wearing a ring that looked amazing on her. So I was like, if it looks great on her hands, which are identical to mine, it's going to look great on mine. Most people aren't like as quick to make a decision as I am. I think you can go try on rings with friends, whatever you want. I personally am kind of anti trying on rings with a guy that you're getting or whoever you're getting engaged to because I just feel like it takes away the romance, but people love it too. How to navigate a friend who compares herself to you. That's really tough. That sounds a little toxic. I would say like keep my keep your distance and yeah, keep your distance is really all all I can say. Sounds like she needs to do some some work. Will you stay in the city forever? That's the plan. That is the plan. What are your Thanksgiving plans? How do you decide whose family to spend it with? So this question came in obviously weeks ago. I'm recording this a few weeks before it airs. I intend to spend Thanksgiving in Westchester with my in-laws and then I'm going to spend the weekend with my parents so that it's the best of both worlds. And how I decide whose family to spend it with. We spend, we usually spend Hanukkah with my parents. You know, we, we switch off as often as we can, but I'm very lucky in that my in-laws and my parents are very close. So we can do a lot together. You know, my parents will include his parents and his parents will include my parents. And so it's not like, oh, we have to choose, which is very great. And I'm so grateful for that. How's the new apartment going? It is going so well. This is the first apartment we've ever lived in where we are so obsessed with it that we don't want to leave at all. Like the other apartments that we've been in, we were like, all right, we'll make this work. And this, we're just like, this is fucking amazing. Like the appliances are modern and the finishes, like the color of the wall is so nice. We're renting it from an owner. So like it's someone else's home apartment that they're not living in at the moment. And it's just really great. And the people who lived in there in the apartment before they left a few things for us, which are great. And, you know, there's still some stuff to do like with every apartment when you move in, but we're really happy here. Thank you for asking. And also I'm obsessed with nomad. Like this area is very, very cool. And there's so much everywhere. Like I never have to leave. How to prepare yourself for a breakup while you're living with someone. Oof, that's really hard. And I've never been through that and I can't imagine. But I would say like make, since you're the one break, doing the breakup, make sure that you have a place to go. I wouldn't say like, oh, it's over and get out. Like you should be the one to find yourself a place and like figure out your footing so that when you do break up, which you should do with love as you do with any breakup, Right you are not like leaving them high and dry with nowhere to go, but you're also not leaving yourself high and dry with nowhere to go. So have that in order. And therapy, so much therapy. How to reignite a desire to date when you've been taking a break. I think this can be really hard, especially when you love your life because you're like, well, my life is great. Like I don't really need anyone to come in and shake things up. But the reality is like, it can get lonely. And if you if what you want is to end up with someone, then you're only kind of delaying it for yourself when you take a break. 
obviously breaks are healthy to take and you can, right? But then reigniting, I think you just think about like, all right, what am I like manifesting for myself? Like it's getting cold. Do I want to have like a, a person that I like spending time with next to me or, you know, to be cozy with or to do activities with this winter? that's like a good way to reignite it, you know, like envision what you see for yourself. And then how do you get that? Well, you got to go on dating apps or you got to put yourself out there. And so also like doing something different for yourself, like whether it's like trying to eat healthier or like getting a haircut or doing something that makes you feel ready to put yourself back out there again, whatever that might be. And I hope that's helpful. And I'm really excited for you to hear Chris. I feel like people don't understand how important it is to replenish electrolytes. This can be after having a few glasses of wine, to working out, to keeping an active lifestyle. Like I personally did not know how important electrolytes are. I really didn't. And this season, this like freezing, freezing winter season, I have been so tired. I've had headaches. Like I clearly there was something that I was doing that wasn't working. So I started to lean into Element. Luckily, they had sent some product over and I was like, you know what? I got to try this stuff because I need something, right? I obviously, I'm not getting enough potassium in my diet. That's for sure. Definitely not enough magnesium. And what Element is, is it's a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything that you need and nothing that you don't. So lots of salt, but no sugar. It contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio, which is 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. And I need potassium in my life, right? Because I'm allergic to bananas. So it is crucial. An element is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs. Like if you're following keto, low carb, paleo, you can still try element. It's really, really amazing and has been making me feel so much better this winter. Right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single serving packets free with any Element order. This is a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend. Get yours at drinkelement.com slash Acme. This deal is only available through my link. You must go to drinklmnt.com slash Acme. Element offers no question asked refunds and you can try it totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you can share it with a friend and they will give your you your money back. No questions asked and you have nothing to lose. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, the host of Work Party, a podcast for ambitious women looking to create and cultivate the career of their dreams. Work Party is paving the way for a new generation of women women who are redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. Every Wednesday, we bring in leading female powerhouses for real talk and BS-free advice on building your business. You'll hear from female founders, CEOs, entrepreneurs, creatives, and so many other badass ladies. Are you ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Then tune into Work Party, the podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show and never miss an episode. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. I'm so excited to be back with Chris Ratcliffe, who is an awesome person and also an anxious attachment style coach. Hey, Chris. Hi, Lindsay. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for coming back. And I feel like we last time you were on, we talked a little bit about Taylor Swift. And I just have to bring up the fact that she has a new album out and we're recording again. So obviously, everything must be in alignment, right? Everything. Absolutely. And Midnight's is taking over the world, which we're happy about. Totally. Totally. Could not be happier. And I'm already saving up for the concert. Yes. So there's so much I want to get into with you. Last time we talked a lot about anxious attachment. And this time we're kind of going to focus on ancient avoidant dynamics. And I'm curious, what are the telltale signs that you're in an anxious avoidant dynamic? Such a good question. And for those who don't know, I am an anxious attachment style coach. So I focus on just one side of this kind of equation. But oftentimes the clients that reach out to me 
who are anxious are really triggered specifically in one relational dynamic, and it is this one, the anxious avoidant relationship. Now, this is a type of trauma bond. And what that means is that each person within that bond is recreating energetic and power dynamics from previous relationships. So that could be from childhood, it could be from a previous romantic relationship. But for a lot of people, this does go back to when they were growing up and relationships that they had with their parents. So some of the telltale signs also have to do with some of the triggers that happen for each of the person in that kind of dynamic. So I want to dive into that a little bit. The anxious person, for those who aren't super familiar with attachment styles or attachment theory, needs a lot of reassurance. They tend to be really leaned in to their relationships, whether those are romantic or platonic, professional or personal. They tend to be super bubbly and very, very close with their connections. They need that. They love that. They require a lot of reassurance, clarity, connection, communication. That's where that leaned inness comes from. And for them, a lot of this stems from a fear of abandonment that they have. And it's not necessarily that they're conscious of it every second of every day or in every relationship all the time, but they're hypersensitive because they learned that through unstable relationships previously that, oh, I'm going to get left or, oh, when someone takes space or gets quiet, that means that they're mad at me, they're angry or I'm going to be reprimanded, or I'm going to have love revoked as a result. Again, a lot of this does go back to childhood dynamics for many people. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes, because the avoidant is opposite, they're opposite folks, they need opposite things. The anxious person needs closeness. The avoidant person needs space. Avoidant folks tend to develop that style of relating to other people because they have experienced not abandonment, but enmeshment. So what that means is that they've had connections in their life where folks have been overly reliant upon them, have been quote unquote needy, which I look at as a derogatory term because emotional needs are neither good nor bad and are completely relative. And oftentimes it's simply the way we go about meeting them that makes them healthy or unhealthy. But for the avoidant person, they have experienced oftentimes, many times throughout their lives, folks who have tried to manipulate them, control them, who have tried to infringe upon some of that space and autonomy that is necessary for a healthy relationship to thrive. And so they are hypersensitive to any sense of being manipulated or controlled, any kind of criticism. And so you can see the beginnings of why that dynamic becomes unhealthy. It's very easy for folks to spiral down when the anxious person is getting triggered by perceived space or distance, which is an inherently larger or greater need for the avoidant. And when they pull away because they only have a certain threshold of emotional exposure, otherwise they get overwhelmed and they need to disengage. That's their coping mechanism. Just like mm -hmm. the coping mechanism for the anxious person is, I got to lean in. I got to try to reinstate contact and closeness. The avoidance answer is always, I need space. I'm shutting down. And they sort of short circuit from an emotional standpoint. They just can't get there. They oftentimes are very good at shutting out their emotions. I describe avoidance as kind of uh, experiencing what I like to call lone wolf syndrome. They have a very strong sense of self and independence, which is very useful for them in other areas of their life. But when it comes to romantic relationships, it can be incredibly problematic. So signs include a sort of stable instability. So there's never really a period where things are just peaceful and going mm -hmm. well. Oftentimes, this has to do with the fact that one person's trying to enmesh. That's the anxious person. The other person is trying to disengage and maintain their sense of self. If you are losing your sense of self by trying to make the relationship your identity, which is often what anxious folks do, and if you are trying to preserve yourself to the point of not being dependent on your partner, it creates that stable instability. So you'll experience moments where the anxious person will ask like, hey, what's up? You've been a little distant. 
And that'll only further trigger the avoidant partner. They don't like Mm -hmm. check-ins. They like the status quo. They like folks to just assume everything's going well, right? Because for them, they're more conservatives in the relationship. They think that they should have a diversified kind of portfolio of connections in their life, which is accurate. That's a very healthy way of looking at it. But they tend to downplay the role that a romantic relationship can and perhaps should play. So if you have a partner like an avoidant who doesn't get back to texts, who doesn't make an effort to call, who when you bring up certain topics, they don't seem to get resolved. There's no resolution at all. That's a very telltale sign. When you have the anxious partner who is not very well balanced in their life, typically they do this because they find somebody that they like, they attach onto them quickly, and they make that person the center of their kind of uh, sphere of connections. I call this emotional diversification in the work that I do with my clients. So folks who are anxious are not diversified, meaning they have connections in their lives, but they don't often nurture them when they find a romantic or potential romantic partner. Like they're the type of person who like bitches their friends for their partner probably more than they should, if at all. All the time. Yes. Mm. They don't nurture their friendships when they find somebody that they like. They want to see them all the time hang out with them all the time, go on dates. That's and where that the enmeshment comes to in. their anxiety when it comes yes. to relationships. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Our next partner is a product I use every day. Yes, you guessed it, Athletic Greens. I started taking Athletic Greens because, well... I just don't eat enough vegetables. I remember someone once told me the serving size of how many vegetables you were supposed to eat. And it was like so many. I was like, this is never going to happen for me. But I knew that I needed something green in my life other than my husband. So what is Athletic Greens? Well, with one delicious scoop, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. It is an amazing special blend of ingredients that supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. All of the things. I am obsessed. It costs you less than $3 a day and you're investing in your health and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. I like to do it with a little ice, shake it up, use one of my reusable straws and it's delicious. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews for a reason. Like, it's amazing. I'm telling you, you really need to try it. Plus... They are really awesome because with every purchase, they donate to organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry here in the U.S. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into this very cold season where people are getting the flu left and right. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Acme. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash Acme to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So when somebody needs space, which is a perfectly normal and natural relational need and makes a relationship healthy, when they see that partner pulling away a little bit or focusing on other things, they get triggered. They feel that deep-seated fear of abandonment. Yet again, I'm going to get left. This person's pulling away. This means I need to try harder. Anxious folks learn that they need to work for love, that love is something that is achieved through self-sacrifice oftentimes. So they will do that and they will sacrifice the connections in their lives. So they're not very well connected elsewhere. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my God, this is telltale of my relational history, then Mm -hmm. take note because you need to make sure that you're connecting with friends, family, colleagues, and yourself. Oftentimes, the anxious partner will sacrifice themselves in order to make the relationship work. This is more commonly known as codependency, the sacrifice Mm -hmm. of self to make relationships work. And on the avoidant side of things, 
they have that lone wolf syndrome, right? They don't want someone who's constantly checking in with them. They get the ick whenever they feel like their partner is being needy by all these check-ins. Hey, where are things going? How are things going? How are you feeling? And if you are avoidant and you have experienced in the past partners who have wanted to check in with you and when you've wanted space, haven't really been able to respect that, please hear me clearly when I say that wanting space is not bad. It is healthy and it is perfectly normal and natural that you have that reaction based on your history. Okay. But one of the ways that we can start to heal this dynamic is by opening up and creating a safe space where both partners can express their opposing needs and not judge or criticize each other or get triggered by that. Mm-hmm. Super important. Right. So it's like, it's yes, you're valid, what you you know want, your space, whatever, but communicate. The way that you communicate that is what's most important. So it's like, you know, you can just be like, hey, and, and this is, it's so interesting because I talk to listeners about this all the time when they're like, oh, you know, they're really busy at work. Like, is it just an excuse? And I'm like, honestly, yes, because if it wasn't an excuse, they would say, I'm really busy. I really like you. I want to take you out, but I'm really busy. So I, you know, can't do it for X, Y, and Z. And it's like, that's the difference. If you just communicate your needs, but then it's like, how do you get an avoidant person to do that? And at what point is someone an avoidant person or just a person that's not that into you? Mm, What a great question. I think it's always best to bring the focus back to yourself, right? Because if we're trying to read into the situation and into the other person, we're going to lose our sense of self. And ultimately checking in with how we even feel about this person and where things are going. This is very common for folks on the anxious side of things. So this is commonly, more commonly known as neuroperception. And neuroperception is developed through trauma. So folks on the anxious side of things have learned to be empaths and be overly sensitive to what's happening around them because they had to be in order to keep the peace growing up. So one of the solutions to that is to bring the focus back to yourself. How am I feeling? What is the unmet need for myself here? Do I need clarity? Do I need just to sort of touch base? Do I need communication? Those are very common needs and they are, again, not good or bad. There's nothing wrong with that. Clarity and communication is what makes relationships thrive. So please don't beat yourself up for wanting that. On the avoidance side of things, you are naturally going to be overwhelmed by a lot of emotional check-ins and by your own emotions. So it's important that you learn to actually do a bit of disengaging from self and learning to become more interdependent. So you've Mm. got the need for independence in a relationship and the need for interdependence, and both are so important, but you got to balance those things. I, on the anxious side of things with the work that I do in coaching with my clients, liken the anxious side of things to the gas pedal. Anxious folks are pedal to the metal. As quick as you can get them to commit and lock it down, the better. Again, because of that abandonment. Avoidant folks tend to be more on the break. They're slowing things down. They don't commit quickly. They're unsure about you. They take longer to get to that DTR or define the relationship conversation. They're sussing out whether or not they can really trust you, whether or not you're going to blow up on them when they do take space, and they will test you. This is something that avoidant folks do all the time. So if you are avoidant and you know that you do those kinds of things, you also need to learn to realize that wanting a relationship and being dependent on other people is not a bad thing and does not make you needy. It's something we are hardwired for as human beings. We want social connection. Relationships is what makes this journey on earth worthwhile. So please know that if you open up and somebody does lash out at you or get upset about you because you want space, that's probably not your person and that's okay. But you do need to practice the skill of saying, hey, let's check in about pacing. I feel like this is going a little more quickly than I like to go. How are you feeling about things? Have open-ended conversations because Pacing is one of those things about a relationship that so many people 
don't even stop to check in about. And yet it's oftentimes what gets you to the commitment is being able to say, okay, this person's a little bit ahead of me or a lot ahead of me. Maybe I do need to work over here at being more emotionally diversified. Maybe I do need to work at not blowing up at them or assuming that this person is a threat to me because they are busy at work. Now, do you, mm-hmm. communication is ultimately what heals this dynamic. And both parties are afraid to do it. The anxious person avoids it because they don't want to be too much or needy. This comes from a place of shame and abandonment. The avoidant person doesn't want to do it because, again, they've been shown in the past that when they do, they get completely blown up at, they get manipulated or controlled, or people try to change them. And that's really invalidating for them and very painful. So realize that there's a lot of pain that has shaped each of these approaches to connecting with other people. And the more that you can talk about your relational history, going all the way back to childhood and some of your previous romantic relationships, the more that you can find a space of safety between you where you can actually open up and stop personalizing the needs of the other person, whether that Mm -hmm. is space or closeness. Yeah. But let's say you're now in an established relationship. You've kind of figured it out, even though one of you is anxious and one of you is avoidant. As the anxious person, if the avoidant person says like, hey, I think we should spend this holiday apart or hey, like I I'm going to stay at mine tonight, you know, on a night that like they usually stay at yours, let's say. And like you're doing all the right things, you're doing all the right work. How do you not take this personally? How do you not, you know, what's the best way to respond to it? and appreciate the space that this person's asking for instead of like, if this were me, I, I really don't know my, my attachment style definitely has changed with the people that I've dated in the past. And we've Mm -hmm. spoken about this, but I feel like if somebody asked for space from me, I would move to Jupiter. Like I would give them so much space that like they would be cursing the day that they ever asked for space. I would not speak to them until like they spoke to me. And that's obviously too extreme, right? And mm-hmm. I think in now in my relationship with my husband, it, it'd be different. We would be able to communicate. But back then, especially if I were in an anxious situation, I would think that that meant it's over. How do you not go there? Great question. And this can be very, very hard. And this is why having a therapist and or a coach, an environment where you can really open up and express how you feel is so important. But at the end of the day, that also has to dovetail with nervous system regulation and learning emotional regulation. And that happens somewhat separately because you have to do that with yourself. But if you have some of those elements in place, like let's say you have a self-care routine, which is sort of a colloquial way of describing how to have a healthier relationship with your nervous system. Things like meditation, journaling, hydration, solid nutrition, sleep, et cetera, exercise. These aren't, you know, these are very commonly known and understood to help balance mental health and physical health. If you have all those things in place, let's say, and you still get triggered by a partner asking for space or a night off or wanting to spend a holiday apart, please know that your reaction is absolutely valid. It is okay to be upset about that. It's not about dismissing the emotion. It's about honoring it and sitting with it and learning how to open up about it. So I'll give you an example of how I would respond. If someone came to me and said that, and I'm on the more anxious side of things, although I consider myself roughly about 75% secure these days, about 25% anxious, but it's still there. Mm -hmm. So if an avoidant person that I'm seeing came to me and said that, I would say, I completely understand that. I respect that. As we've talked about in the past, because I do think it's important to bring this up early on, like needs in terms of when you're going to see that person. So Mm -hmm. I would say, as you know, it's really important to me to know when I'm going to see you next. So I know you're super busy, but roughly, what do you think about us going on a date mid next week or regrouping after the weekend? Mm. With the holiday thing, maybe it's a compromise of, okay, if you want to spend Christmas with your family, what about doing? 
Friendsgiving or Thanksgiving with my friends or my family. So ask for that need to be met in another way. And if that person is shutting that down too, yes, you do have a legitimate concern to address with them, but then is probably not the right time. Because if that person is asking for space, that's essentially a sort of masked or veiled way of saying, in order for me to approach this and have a safe conversation for me, I need to get myself underneath of my emotional threshold. So they are reaching that cap of what they're able to give and to operate within. So listen to that and learn to respect that too over Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. Because what they're saying is not that I'm going to abandon you, but I need this for myself. And because the needs are opposite, you can meet both of them, but you're going to have to each learn to respect the other person. So if you're avoidant and your partner's asking you for a little bit of clarity or for when they're going to see you next, please know that they're not trying to take away your autonomy. They're not trying to take away your independence or manipulate you. They're merely trying to get themselves back to a safe place too, just Mm -hmm. like you are when you take your space. Yeah. So if the best combination is a secure person with a secure person, what's the second best combination for two people dating's attachment style? Like you have to, you have to choose, right? And secure can be one of them, but not both. I think it's two people working to become more secure. But like in this exact moment, right? So like, okay, so then so then if that's the case, right, then it's like secure and anxious, right? Like, well, let's remember that these aren't absolutes and attachment is a spectrum. So no one is 100% perfectly secure, just like no one is 100% anxious all the time. You can't operate like that. It's just not how the human condition works. And we can grow more secure or more insecure with each relationship, with each day each interaction that we have. So this Mm -hmm. is constantly ebbing and flowing. So if you're on the insecure side of the attachment spectrum, let's say you're anxious or avoidant or the more sort of rare version of the combination of the two, anxious, avoidant, or disorganized. If you're doing some work to move yourself more towards the secure side of the spectrum, that's going to inherently create the second best dynamic, regardless of where you are. Because it's all about knowing who you are, knowing what to ask for and what you need and practicing doing that in a way that, you know, more often than not, again, not going for absolutes here, but more often than not is in a healthy way. So Mm -hmm. let's say you do demonstrate protest behavior from time to time, which is just a kind of fancy way of describing an adult temper tantrum or acting out to try to get your emotional needs met. Things like withdrawing, keeping score, shutting down, If someone, for instance, doesn't text you back for six hours, you say, oh, well, I'm not going to text you back for 12. That's protest behavior. You're inherently getting in the way of what it is that you really want, which is communication. So -hmm. let's say you're doing that less often. You're actually approaching your partner and saying, hey, I'm feeling a bit anxious right now in this moment. I need a little bit of clarity about where your head's at on things because this is the story I've been telling myself in my head. The more you can do that, the more you build the security, the second best that relationship is going to be. Even if you are in a secure secure partnership, so both folks are secure, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have conflict or disagreements. It's about Mm -hmm. how you deal with it that makes it secure. Mm -hmm. It's about bouncing back more quickly. It's about even if you do shut down, even if you do leave the room or slam the door or spend the night somewhere else at your apartment instead of, you know, together, then bouncing back more quickly from that the next morning, apologizing, saying, I know that triggers you. I don't mean to do that. How can we repair this? You know, it's never about what you get wrong. It's always about what you're trying to make healthier. And so I always like people to understand that attachment is one way of understanding what you need in a relationship, just like love languages are, just like Myers-Briggs is a way of understanding your personality and and Enneagram and all of those things. They are incomplete because as human beings, we are complex and highly nuanced. Mm -hmm. And each person is approaching things from their own level of healing and their own traumatic experiences and wounds and what they've done with them. 
So even if you are anxious, you're not 100% anxious and you can always work on changing that. So I just want to encourage folks, if you are on the insecure side of the attachment spectrum, don't beat yourself up if you're in a relationship with someone who is avoidant or someone who is anxious. It's about how you try to make it healthier and work for the two of you that matters ultimately. Do not dismiss anyone because of their attachment style. If you're dismissing an entire category of people because of a label that they have identified with because of their experiences, you inherently are dismissing a lot of people who could have the potential to be a healthy partner for you. Yeah, agreed. Okay. We only have a few minutes left, so I want to go over a few celebrity couples. Okay, sure. I mean, obviously, we don't know their ins and outs, except for one of the couples, which you'll understand why we know. But, you know, what you think, who you think is who in that relationship, if it's anxious avoidant, uh, starting with, obviously, a very buzzy in the moment couple, which is Tom Brady and Giselle. They Mm. just ended their marriage. They're getting a divorce. Uh what we know or like have heard, right, is that Tom like chose football over Giselle. Do you think that that makes him out to be avoidant or do we think he's just, you know, selfish? Well, I do think there is a very clear telltale sign of avoidant attachment there, which is sort of, again, that lone wolf syndrome or disengaging from the relationship to focus from elsewhere. The family. Yeah. yeah, from the family. So whether that's, professionally. So really diving into your work. A lot of folks that are career obsessed are on the insecure side of the attachment spectrum Mm. and in particular are avoidant. So they value that strong sense of independence. And you can see that in some of what we're hearing about, you know, how Tom has behaved in that dynamic. So I can clearly see that definitely. And her Mm. being more anxious and wanting more from him again, leaning in, wanting that closeness. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're triggering each other, you can see why it would sort of spiral down into a place of you don't know how you got there. You don't understand each other's needs anymore. It's not safe to open up in either direction to ask for what you need. And it's Mm -hmm. sad. But yeah, it happens a lot. Yeah, really sad. The next couple, and I chose this strictly because I feel like it goes the opposite way. People always assume that it's the man who's avoidant. Mm -hmm. Not the case. In fact, like a lot of the women... I know are the ones that if anyone was going to be avoidant, it would be them in the relationship. And so I feel like an example of this is Miley Cyrus and Liam Hemsworth who are no longer together, but Miley was clearly, you know, the avoidant one, if anything. And I think Liam was anxious. What do you think? hundred percent spot on. I actually, when I was thinking about this conversation that we were going to have, that popped into my mind a hundred percent. You know, with Miley, she's got that really strong sense of feminism, being an independent woman, and it's sort of her trademark, and it's beautiful and wonderful. But you can definitely see, even in the breaking up, getting back together multiple times, that's another sign of the anxious avoidant dynamic. It's that push-pull, that are we or aren't we, never really knowing, stable instability, over the course of years that the two of them had, you know, they were engaged and not engaged and back together and engaged. And so ring off, ring on. Yeah, absolutely defines that anxious avoidant dynamic. And I think you nailed it. I think Miley is the more avoidant one. I've oftentimes contemplated whether she's actually anxious avoidant or fearful avoidant Mm. and or disorganized. They're all the same attachment style by different names and different attachment models because Songs like Wrecking Ball give off more of an anxious vibe, but then on her last album, you know, Plastic Hearts, it's very avoidant. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, there is this kind of journey back and forth where I'm not really sure if she's one or the other. Maybe she's both. And there are people that experience both. So, yes, great example of the anxious avoidant dynamic, certainly. And then I have two more. So the third couple is Carrie and Big, Sex and the City. I mean, we know their entire relationship ins and outs. And we know that Carrie is like actually the worst. (laughs) And, you know, 
I can't say that she doesn't have friends because she has the girls, you know, mm-hmm. but she will literally do anything for big in such an unhealthy way. What do you think? Are you in my head? Because literally I've been thinking about these couples constantly. <laughs> yes. So yes, you nailed it. Carrie is classic anxious attachment. Yes, she has the girls, obviously. But what are her hobbies or interests? She has her column, Literally nothing. Stalking but- big. Yeah, but she goes out on dates, she goes shopping, and basically ruminates about her relationship, which is a telltale sign of, you know, anxious attachment. And again, that on again, off again, are we or aren't we going back to someone that you really don't think can meet your emotional needs, but yet you can't let go of because you're afraid of abandonment or being alone? Telltale sign of the anxious avoidant dynamic or relationship telltale classic sign of anxious attachment and big let's not let big off the hook here either okay because he is so disengaged and so nonchalant about their relationship that it triggers her to the point where she's yelling at him on the street jumping out of the car and running away doesn't want to sell her apartment when things really do progress towards marriage and all of those things So, you know, it's one of those examples from pop culture that only reinforces unhealthy relational dynamics. And, you know, there's this idea on the anxious side of things of wanting that savior, that relationship, that partner that will finally come along and make everything okay. And it's just not how it works. Oftentimes, the safety in the relationship is built by both partners by having the uncomfortable conversations that the anxious and avoidant partners tend to not have obviously Mm -hmm. for different reasons but aiden was a secure person and she dismissed him she obviously you know behaved in a way that led to the demise of that right it almost feels like she is she is like anxious avoidant and he and big is avoidant and other secure people make her even more avoidant so she's just like her, her own worst enemy obviously well carrie just like anyone who is experiencing anxious attachment also has a fear of intimacy. Even though we crave it deeply, we're afraid Mm -hmm. of it because we haven't often experienced that stability. So we don't know what to do with it when it shows up. And I think that you can see that in the way that she treated Aiden. Yeah, agreed. And then lastly, we're going to end on our favorite gal, Taylor. Um, We learned a lot in Midnight's. We learned a lot. And I think we kind of learned that she's a little bit avoidant when it comes to the marriage topic. And we knew that she had this tendency because of back to December, but we really, it was, it was enforced a little bit. Not that she is avoiding, you know, marrying Joe specifically, but that Mm -hmm. maybe just the idea of marriage is something that she is the one saying, no, I don't want that too. Well, you and I have talked at length about Taylor's growth trajectory and how she's gone from a more anxious to secure place. What I think is so fascinating about Midnight's is with it as a sort of retrospective album, looking back on, you know, nights that made her lose sleep, that kept her up, you're inherently looking back at some of those more anxious feelings and moments and relationships. Right. And so I think we're seeing that because it is sort of looking back in time, but I could certainly see why she would be reluctant to get married. Look at the scrutiny she has had to undergo in her life romantically. That's so much pressure. And, you know, Mariah Carey's my diva. Okay. I love Mm -hmm. Taylor. She is up there for me. Adore her. But Mariah is my girl, and she's been married twice, almost Mm -hmm. three times. She was engaged to that Aussie billionaire that she sued for wasting her time and won millions of dollars. And so she doesn't want to get married again. And she said this publicly because she's kind of like, why? I don't feel like I need to. I have a great relationship. I've been down that road many times, and look where it got me. And I feel like Taylor is being very wise about how she's managing her approach to that. And it's kind of indicative of where we are as a society and a culture. Not Mm -hmm. everybody agrees that 
the end all be all of a relationship has to be marriage anymore. I personally want to get married. That's something I want for myself. I see that for myself. Not everybody does. You know, maybe you want a spiritual partnership. Maybe you just want a lifelong partner and that's okay, especially because of all of the detanglement, especially for a public figure like Taylor. I mean, she is the music industry at this point. She owns the top 10. Every single media outlet in the world is writing about her. She has experienced what that's like being on the bad side in the Mm -hmm. reputation era. And I can see why she would not want to go back there. So I respect that if that is indeed how she feels. And I can see why she would feel that way. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And I think just, you know, being someone that's that talked about, how do you have a wedding? Like, how do you actually have a wedding that people don't find out about, that people don't talk about? It's, I imagine this circle of trust is so small that you can't have what you really want anyway, which is upsetting. But this was so much fun. Thank you so much for coming back on. Chris, will you leave us with a quote or piece of advice, maybe something for anxious attachment relationships or just something that you like or maybe your favorite lyric from a new album? Mm. Okay, so for folks on the anxious side of the attachment spectrum, because those are the folks that I coach, right? I want them to hear this very clearly. And I had hundreds reach out to me after our first episode together. So if you haven't listened to it yet, go back and listen to that from early May. But I want to leave you with this. You're only as needy as your unmet needs. And in the context of an anxious avoidant dynamic or relationship, you can see why your needs would go unmet and why you would then feel like you are needy. Do not beat yourself up. Having emotional needs makes you human, not needy. The the growth and security is achieved and unlocked. You can grow into that space. By learning to ask for what it is that you need directly, calmly, and compassionately, and stop beating yourself up for having a big heart. It is a gift, not a curse, and something that you can learn the right people will appreciate and that you can help to build that sense of appreciation by asking for what you need. I love that. Thank you so much, Chris. Where can everybody find you and follow you and possibly get some advice from you? Yeah. So a couple different places. You can find me on social media. I mostly post to Instagram and TikTok. On TikTok, I have a community of almost 100,000 folks now, which blows my mind still, at Crackliff or Crack Life with two Fs. So C-R-A-C-K-L-I-F-F-E. So on both of those platforms, you can find me there. I'm also at Crackliff, C-R-A-C-K-L-I-F-F-E dot com. If you're interested in working with me, From a coaching standpoint, let's say you are anxious or you're in an anxious avoidant dynamic, you can reach out to me. I coach people through that all the time from almost breaking up to getting engaged or married. I've seen clients do that, which is very rewarding and fulfilling, obviously, for both sides. You can contact me at cracklift.com slash coaching. Cool. Thank you. Thanks, Lindsay. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.